Welcome to the Financially Intentional Podcast Expert Edition. Every Tuesday, I'll be joined by an expert in a particular field that is here to help you get your money right. These people are going to impart some serious knowledge, y'all. I'll be right here learning right beside you guys. So be prepared to take notes and more importantly, be prepared to take intentional action. All right, Nurses on Fire. We are back and we have a special treat. We have a new certified financial planner, Marie Thomason. Hey, Marie. Hi, Nasima. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored for you to be here. So please share with the people a little bit about your background, what you do. Sure. So I am a financial planner who works with women with progressive values, big emphasis on things that don't usually come into the financial realm. But I believe that you can't really separate economics from your finances. And so what we're talking about today too with responsible investing. Yes. And I just barely brushed the surface of financial investing. I just barely brushed the surface of socially responsible Mm -hmm. investing. And so I am looking forward to deep diving into the subject with you because I know you have some gems and some really practical tools for people. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the hardest things about responsible investing is one, there's all these acronyms and there's so much information, but a lot of it can be really hard to put into action. And so usually when there's, when you're overwhelmed with information, but nothing actionable, then, then it's really easy to do nothing because you don't even know what to do, where to start, where you have the most impact. Yes, yes. It is super hard. And I think like the concept is really new to people, especially my audience, because (laughs) most people are just really new to investing in general. Mm -hmm. And so to know that, first of all, there's so many options out there, but to know that their dollars can actually make an impact while helping them build their wealth, I think is like mind blowing to a lot of people. Yeah. And generally speaking, the whole idea of responsible investing or whatever you want to call it is actually pretty new. So what I wanted to start with today, because we're going to do a series on this, is just to give a general overview of what socially responsible or sustainable investing is, like where it came from and how it originated and where it is today. And then what we'll do is as we go through each of the next um, podcasts is we'll discuss one actionable idea that I've broken out between spend, save, and invest and easy, medium, hard. So every week we'll talk about something new, but I think that it's really important to just step back a little bit before we do that and have a little context because it is new. It's like all of a sudden, I remember my kids are 10. And I remember posting pictures to like blogger or something through my email. And then all of a sudden it's like Instagram and you're like, where did this come from? That's what socially responsible investing is. It's a wait a minute. And I think that it's, it actually has a really um, interesting history. And so just knowing and understanding where it came from, I think will give you a lot of perspective and it'll make all the acronyms make sense. Oh, let's hear about this history. And I All love right. that analogy, by the way. 
<laughs> yeah. Thank God I don't have to like post through my email anymore. It was, it, yeah, it was insane. And then having to transfer all the photos over is like a whole other issue, but that could be a whole conversation. But responsible investing is equally painful. That's the thing, right? Like we're in the 2010 iteration still when you think about it. And so there's a lot that needs to be done in terms of technology and availability and actionability and government oversight regulation. This is a complete shit show, for lack of a better word. Really, this all started in the 60s. And it came about, and the original term for it was socially responsible investing. And it's because people were pissed. This is when people were getting really upset. And there's so many parallels to what's going on today. But people were getting upset about the Vietnam War, about apartheid in South Africa. And they were like, hell no, I'm not going to invest in countries that or sorry, companies that that are supporting apartheid in South Africa that are providing defense and, and weapons for the Vietnam War that are killing our soldiers for a, for a needless war. And so what happened is you ended up with this group of, of activist investors that sprang out of this larger activism. That's really what happened. So just like today, we've got the social justice and BLM movement, which is, it has probably moved sustainable investing forward, sadly enough, like a decade, right? Just because of what's going on. And, and this is what happened back in the 60s. This is how it came about because the way our economic system was created and the way capitalism works, it was never intended to account for people's well-being. It, it's always about the bottom line. That is literally the definition of capitalism, is the shareholder's best interest. So that's all fine and good when everyone's a shareholder. But when you look and, and you look at the, the demographics and you're like, well, only the, the top 10% of Americans are really like lucky enough to be shareholders, then who do we care about here? And so anyways, so let me just go back before I get on my pulpit there. But so socially responsible investing, it was really what they call a negative screen. So no, I'm not going to in invest in any company that is contributing to war or violence or tobacco or alcohol. This is where the um, religious-based values came into play in a big way. Like, no, I do not want to support birth control, like the Catholic Church also trending these days for like very infamous reasons. And so it was very much like, hell no, we're not investing in those companies. So take those companies out of my portfolio and I will take whatever is left. So this is very much like somebody who's willing to die on the sword because you are willing to lose diversification lose return from companies that are probably killing it by killing people and say, no, like, I'm not about this. And so that's where it got its start. Let me just ask you a question. Yeah. Why wouldn't people then just take their money out of the market? Okay. So this goes back to just basic finance 101 or personal finance 101, which is where it's really tough because if you don't invest in the market, you're going to get killed by inflation. Yep. 
and and purchasing power. And specifically, I work pri- you know primarily with women. Women are um, typically have really much better savers than the men. A little more risk aware, I like to call it, as opposed to risk averse. Um, because we're not the ones who are like going all in on crypto and losing our houses. Um, and yet it's the silent killer is inflation. If you don't invest, then you are likely to live a very unhappy retirement or whatever you want to call it because you are not keeping up with your ability to buy a loaf of bread. So this is, it's like a double-edged sword. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And so this is where activists, even if you take a lower return, you're still doing much better than doing nothing. And anyways, even if you have your money in a bank, what is that bank doing with your money, right? This is a tangled web and we're really only going to scratch the surface. At least in this first go round, we can, we can go down the rabbit hole, but this is one of the big challenges is like one question leads to another and leads to another. And this socially responsible investing, it was just doing its thing. It was like this edge, hippy-dippy movement, right? Not a lot of people did it. And your typical bank advisor, financial advisor is like, whoa, no, like you're going to lose 2% return. Why would you ever do that? Because also keep in mind who are, who's working at banks, who are financial advisors. It's the top 10% right? Like, why would they go against their own best interest? So that kind of just chugged along and it was very much a fringe thing. And then now starting to get into a little bit closer into like our life lifetimes is the 1990s is the first time like climate change ever became like a word, right? I think it was Clinton who, who started that. And incidentally, Moving on to the next phase of sustainable investing, which is called the ESG, which stands for environmental social um, governance, and it's different aspects. So, you know, climate change, environmental, people usually get that, right? So it, it makes a lot of sense. Don't ruin our planet. And then you have these other metrics, social metrics, how well are people paid, how many people are getting hurt on the job, and then the actual overall governance, who's on the board, it's the 1%. And that's what it was when this all started. And this idea of ESG came about in 2005. And so it, and it, was, it was basically of a, an evolution of this climate change debate. So suddenly you go from the social responsibility, no guns, no birth control, that sort of thing, to all of a sudden people are like, "Uh uh-oh, climate change, we need to think about this. So ESG investing, it didn't really, it didn't really take off until the Great Recession. And the reason for that is because 2008, 2009, if you weren't invested in it, you still know what happened from it, right? Like markets were down, everything was down, people lost their houses. It was just a bad time. And what happened at that time is that these socially responsible portfolios, they were just, they, they were awful. So the returns on them were just terrible. And so now you've got a bunch of portfolio managers, like these guys in the ivory towers who are like, well, we need to package this a little bit better because 
we need better returns because we need people buying these things. So this ESG is really where you got the lipstick on the pig packaging coming in because the recovery 2010, 2011, the driver of the market recovery came from fracking. I don't know if you remember this, but those returns, that was like shale when they were fracking for shale in Texas and North Dakota. And it was all over and and there's all these news about the railroads and the tankers exploding and whatnot. And that's where the driver of returns were coming from. You can bet that somebody with a socially responsible portfolio was like, no, except now those portfolios have awful returns. So they shifted their marketing, basically. They repackaged these like idealistic portfolios into something they call ESG. And basically it went from being like, no, I'm not going to invest in a company that is supplying guns for war to being like, well, we're going to pick the best in class. So like best in class really means like the best of the worst. Because why is Exxon in an ESG portfolio? Well, Exxon is in an ESG portfolio because of marketing. That's why, because somebody's got to make their money. And it's basically, this is where shareholder advocacy really started to bloom. And I will say that that enough time has passed that I think despite, I don't, I think this is like unintended consequences, to be honest, all the shareholder advocacy and the spotlight on companies and what they're doing, I think it has less to do with ESG portfolios and more to do with social media and people being able to actually understand what companies are up to and what they're doing. But suddenly now you have, you have this platform a very democratic platform, no matter who you are or how much money you have, you can start talking shit about Nike or Exxon or whomever it is. And just, I think just because of the times, ESG portfolios started to become more relevant. So when you look at ESG portfolios today, yes, they're better but there's, they've still got Halliburton in it. That's the defense contractor. They still have Exxon in there. And they're like, well, they give their employees 401ks and three weeks of vacation. So there you go. It's better than the schmuck that like Amazon, for example, that's got people like sweating in, in warehouses making $11 an hour. And maybe Amazon's not in, in that class, but they probably are. Like they probably are in there somewhere because they are doing something okay. And that's, that's the screen for ESG. ESG is really popular today. And I'm not saying all of this to say you shouldn't do it, but it's, that's, like the, that's like the bare minimum that portfolios should be at. It's literally the bare minimum. And today, there's no reason not to invest in ESG portfolios because companies that are actually looking at, shocker to all of us, the women on, on the board have higher returns, duh. <laughs> we already know that they're probably going to do better um, because the, the company's maybe not completely overran with sociopath CEOs. And so those companies are actually doing much better and because sustainability is becoming a focus. And so now, now, and this was not the case 10 years ago, ESG portfolios are looking through the sustainability lens. Those companies are actually very competitive 
and again, I'm not, those companies really is just, you know, the, the oftentimes like the best in class or best of the worst is what it is. So that's just baseline. But I wanted to know in this, are you going to highlight returns and fees? Oh, are we doing that? These yeah, later? of course. Yeah. I just want you to like give like a kind of just like sense of inflation versus your regular index fund portfolio without a return okay. versus ES. It's really hard to say because there's been all this like monetary policy and, and the government has just thrown money at markets the last 10, 15 years. But if you say on average, you get, let's call it an 8% return. I think historically people use like a 9% return, but it seems a little high, especially right now. And let's say inflation is 2%. So you back that out because that's not really money that you're earning. You're just like keeping up. So a 6% return for a conventional portfolio, nowadays, like ESG portfolios are matching that on a a real return basis, which means after inflation. So there's basically no reason not to invest in an ESG portfolio. And a lot of ESG, and it depends on the asset class. So this gets a little bit into into the technical details, but asset class is just referring to, are you this mega cap company like Amazon, or are you a small little relatively nimble company like Lululemon? How fast can you pivot? Small companies, Amazon 20 years ago was a small company, had huge monster returns. Now Amazon of today, they're never going to see that same type of return again, right? It's a matter of always being diversified, but if you look at a diversified portfolio, with let's call it vanilla or conventional portfolios, ETFs, mutual funds, companies, it's going to it's going to match an ESG portfolio and an ESG portfolio, quite frankly, over the next 10 years, I would not be surprised if it started to beat the conventional. Because companies that are looking at ways to be sustainable, oftentimes they're cutting costs too, right? So they're cutting costs. People care. People talk about it. People are willing to pay more money for a company that they know, maybe I don't have to throw this thing out in two years because they like they designed it to explode. There's really no big difference. And that's why I'm very adamant about ESG just being the baseline. Now, the okay, so for the fees, however, the fees are, there's more fees for an ESG portfolio. You can't get around it. So is it because it's more actively managed because they have to actually go in yes. and make sure that those companies are complying? Exactly. This is So you're getting what you pay you for. You get you <laughs> literally you get what you pay for. So there is no yeah. way around it and we've been brainwashed to the Vanguard Bogle passive investing. There's nothing wrong with this. Like there's nothing fundamentally wrong with this approach, but if you care then you have to pay. You, you're going to have to pay because somebody has to do the work to sit there and sift through the company's 10Ks, have, have conversations with investor relations to do their due diligence. This is all very much active management. And a lot of people who are like, I call myself a quasi-passive asset manager. Like, I would love to be passive, but you can't be passive unless you don't care. That's just what it is, right? If you don't care, great, be passive. Nothing wrong with that. But if you care, you you can't be passive. We could 
relate this to basically life generally, but everything that's going on today, you can't be passive. So you're going to pay more. But and I say that the easiest way to get to somebody's pockets or to change somebody's opinion is to hit them where the money is, hit them in their pockets like you have to. And so investing is your tool in order to do that because now you're a shareholder in these companies. Yeah, we can't be passive. And I feel like a lot of us are passionate about issues, but we don't know how to affect change. And I feel like this is a major way that we can do that. It's a major way. And you have to remember that US GDP, it's like basically like the paycheck of the United States, right? Like we're paying taxes and everything. 70% of it comes from consumers. Like as consumers collectively, like we have all the power. We can change the dynamic. We can totally do it, but you just have to have enough people on board and you have, and depending on where you're at, you have to make it easy. Because it's a struggle living in the United States. Like, it's 100% a struggle. And so I, I feel like the, the system is stacked against the average American. When we talk about freedom in the U.S., really what we're talking about is economic freedom. Because you don't have social safety nets. You don't have social support. You don't have access to equal health care, equal education, like a lot of these things. And like, how are you going to worry about like sustainable investing when you're just trying to get through the day? So if you have the means, if you have the means to invest, if, if you have the privilege to be listening to this and be able to take action on it, it is like your moral obligation to do this. That's what I think. Not everybody has this privilege. So if you don't like, let's have a conversation. I was going to say something, (laughs) something else. No, I get it. I get it. But I know like for me personally, like I haven't because I don't understand Mm -hmm. it yet. And so that's why I'm so juiced about us having this series because now we get to have a deep dive. We can all understand it and we don't have any more excuses. (laughs) There there's uh, yes, no more excuses. And a lot of times, so Recently, what is the, the oh, what do you call it? Like the hot word is impact investing. Like you hear about impact investing and it's all about social justice, social equity, all these things, environmentalism, economic inequality, gender inequality, like looking through those lens. And it really is taking us back to the socially responsible. It's taken us back to the 60s, right? You had people who were protesting in the street over the Vietnam War, and now we have people protesting in the street over social inequalities that have just become eyed in the last 40, 50 years. So it's only gotten worse. And so now it's, again, we've come to that point where you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And so impact investing is just like a new way and, and they break it apart a little bit more, a new way of looking at socially responsible investing. So we've come full circle. There's a lot of parallels. So just to wrap it up, we started with socially responsible investing that began in the 60s as a reaction to things like the Vietnam War and apartheid in South Africa. and it morphed as 
the environment became a, a big deal and people started thinking about climate change. And today there's really no reason to not invest at the very least, according to sustainable investing principles with ESG. A lot of common wisdom will say, just invest the market and then give money where you can. That's all fine and good, but half the West Coast is on fire. So let's, how much good did that actually do us? It is not enough to, to be philanthropic. And that's a good thing, but we have to invest our values. We, we have to use the environment as a baseline. There's no reason not to. It costs a little more, but just like you said, you get what you pay for. And on an apples for apples basis, the returns are, are the same, if not increasingly better than a conventional portfolio. So we've really come full circle to with impact investing. And basically, social responsible investing through these very well-defined lenses nowadays of gender, race, economic inequality, and sexual preferences, you name it. It's an absolute, it's a moral imperative. And if you're not doing it, why? Yes, I love it. Why? Because you can't say that you don't know now. Just like I can't say I don't know. And so, yes, this is great. This is great. And Well, you know the why now. Yes. So now we got to yes. dig into the how. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So that's what we'll be talking about on the next episode. We're going to find out how we can start re- investing responsibly or impact investing now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait. Okay, Marie. See you back in the next episode. All right. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to my mommy's podcast. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.